Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwire. Jeff Kanata. And joining us today, she's a staff writer and film critic at SlashFilm.com. Hui Chen Bui, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Thanks for having me back, guys. And may I say for Slash Film Daily listeners, hey, everyone. (laughs) Uh, So HT is referring to the fact that uh, she is also a frequent co-host on the Slash Film Daily podcast. And uh, everyone on that podcast has a kind of greeting uh, that they they do. And hers is, hey, everyone. And it's kind of like it's very comforting when you hear like a, a standard greeting repeated over and over again, like hundreds of times. Um, Thanks. And, I remember early reviews for our podcast said that those were really boring and they should we should come up with more interesting greetings rather than just saying <laughs> hi. But people like them. Yeah, really, my, my, really judging everything now in a podcast, including the <laughs> greetings. Yeah. My favorite thing, I, I have to admit, is I think early on, uh, Chris Evangelista had like a very, uh, let, let's say non-super energetic greeting right he'd be like hi you know and then i would say guttural guttural yes (laughs) and uh people complained so much about it that like now he's like he's like in the opposite direction (laughs) he's like in the opposite direction he's like super cheery in a way that sounds like it doesn't necessarily capture his personality but i i enjoy it every single time i hear it so um but in any case if you if you want a daily podcast with film news uh, that features HT, you can go to uh, Slash Film Daily, which I think is at, uh, found at daily.slashfilm.com, right? Uh, and they, they, they have a new episode every weekday. Uh, and some of the episodes recently have been really good. Peter Serretta has talked about how like uh, the, the show took a little bit of time to find its footing. But um, I agree with him that I think that the, the recent episodes have been really strong. So uh, definitely check it out at daily.slashfilm.com. Uh, anyway... Today, we are here on the Slash Filmcast to talk about a few things. Uh, we got some what we've been watching for you today, and then we got a, a, an in-depth review of Joe Cornish's new movie, The Kid Who Would Be King. We're going to follow that up with an after-dark discussion of Stephen Knight's newest film, Serenity, starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. I, I'm really looking forward to talking about that one. Um, looking forward to this whole episode, actually. You can find more ep- episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast.com. At gmail.com. So let's get into the show. What we've been watching this week. I will start. I will start with uh, a couple things. First of all, uh, a, a while ago, you you guys may remember longtime listener and fan Mike Apparicio donated a significant sum of cash to the podcast and uh, essentially chided me for wasting my time watching terrible things and said instead of you know watching documentaries about penis museums and stuff. I should watch Dark on Netflix. Uh, And uh, that always stuck with me. And even though it took me many months to actually uh, respond to him, I I finally did it. I finally watched Dark Season 1. You know, Dave, Devendra and I have been saying very similar (laughs) things to you. You know, about this very episode, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Uh, yeah, Firefly is still sitting there. It's been almost 20 years. We haven't actually given you money, but you know we do say it a lot. It's true, it's true. Which I think like goes to show you that money really does talk. You know what I mean when money it comes to swing. Yeah, because because really that I mean <laughs> I'm being metaphorical, but like that money was burning a hole in my psyche. I'm like this guy donated a oh, ton yeah. of money so that yeah. I would watch this show, and I haven't watched the show. And every day that passed yeah. 
where I didn't watch a show, I felt guilty about it. I you didn't buy you, you know, Firefly, Dave, long before it was on Netflix, and it's still sitting somewhere near your house. It's true. I know what you're doing right now, Dave. What am I doing right now? You are manufacturing an email from the preacher guy <laughs> to me. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely be getting an email from the preacher guy this week yes, about why true. I haven't watched Preacher yet. But anyway, carry on. That's true. Anyway. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, so Dark Season 1. Uh, how many of you have actually watched all of Dark Season 1? Anyone here? Not all of it. Not no. all of it? No one? HT, I mean, have you heard of it? I've heard of it. This is the German series, right? Correct. Correct. It's like German Stranger Things, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. German Stranger Things, but it's good, is how I would describe it. Um, <laughs> I think it's uh, Dark is, is one of the best television experiences I've ever had. It's just wow. really exceptionally well made. Wow. Uh, every episode is like impeccably cast, impeccably acted, impeccably shot. Uh, it has a killer soundtrack. It's a great show, and I'd really recommend it. I now know why Mike Apparicio donated money to get us to watch it. The Sounds o- like you owe him money now. Uh, yeah. A little bit, yeah, kind of. You could make yeah. that argument. Uh, so mm. I would recommend anyone check it out. Season 2 is coming out in June of 2019. Uh, I would tell you more about the plot, except I don't want to give anything away. It's it's best not spoiled at all. But I'll just say it checks a lot of Dave Chen's boxes for things that I really like. Uh, penis lo- museums. Yeah, penis museums. <laughs> no, a lot of lot of uh, human and family tragedy going on. A lot of uh, time. A lot of reflections about the nature of time travel and and the effects of uh, actions throughout time and space. Cut uh, to Dave like stuffing his face full of popcorns. Like, yeah, tragedy. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Thanks. No, Davinder <laughs> nailed it. That's right. Um, so I I strongly recommend Dark Season One. Uh, one of the most impressive parts of the show is that they show uh, the same characters at different points in their life and so you have like a young version of one character and an older version of another of that character and uh the they are played by different actors they didn't do de-aging marvel style they have like different actors playing these characters at different points in their lives and so the casting needs to be really really good to convince you that that's the case and in general the casting is in fact very very good uh it's just like seeing the casting and how they pulled that off alone uh is really impressive so I would recommend Dark. Yeah, Stranger Things, Twin Peaks. It's like a combination of those two things. It's and just like the the cinematography, the the mise en scène. It's all incredible. Uh, so check it out. Dark season one on Netflix. Is, right have now. we heard if there's going to be a season two? Yeah, of Dark? Season, season two this summer. So oh, exciting. you gotta you gotta catch up, Jeff. Gotta get in there. Gotta all get right. ready. Uh, I think uh, I will say one other thing about it. If you if you actually watch the first episode, I think it's really representative of what the show is like. Uh, uh, one thing is that it does ask a lot of you, you know, like I, I know some people cannot watch Game of Thrones because it's too confusing, right? There's too many people and too many relationships and whatever. This is very much like that where you, you got to keep track of not only all the people, but they're all related to each other in some way. And then you have to keep track of like the younger version of them and then how those are related, you know? So it, it requires a lot of work of the viewer in general. I think it pays off. Uh, I also thought that the first fit- episode, it's uh, it is a little rough for me. Like it, that one didn't grab me. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I may have to give it two or three to really. I would say give it. it two or three. If if you're not into it by two or three, I would say 
you probably won't ever get into it, but I I think like I stuck with it. I worked at it. You know, there's like charts online and stuff that you can kind of like. It's it's one of those shows you have to work at. You can't just like sit and watch <laughs> it passively. You got to read the subtitles. You got to pay attention to who's who. Uh, but in the end, I think in general it rewards you. I thought the finale was a little disappointing, to be honest. Um, and I will say it's one of those shows that does not wrap everything up. So there is uh, a lot open for season two to kind of take and run with. But I, I found my time worth it. I, I marathoned the entire 10 episodes in four days, and I thought it was worth it. So I'd recommend. Dark season one, check it out. Okay. I also had a chance recently to go see a live version of the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Have you guys heard of this podcast, Judge John sure. Hodgman? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very delightful podcast where uh, they Judge John Hodgman and Bailiff Jesse Thorne adjudicate movie uh, – not, not movie-related dilemmas. I'm thinking of the Slash Film Court. Sorry. They adjudicate – I was like, uh, they stole our bit. <laughs> yeah. They adjudicate uh, dilemmas between friends and couples. And in particular, uh, many wives and, and women uh, – like women in a couple love the podcast because it's often about – uh, the, the issues are often about guys doing dumb things, right? It's about like a guy who in the in a couple like, who's like very like inconsiderate. King of Queens, the podcast. What'd you say? King of <laughs> like Queens, the King podcast. King of Queens, the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's about it's it's usually about like guys needing to be uh, upbraided or uh, chastised by Judge John Hodgman, who does it with great aplomb and lots of delightful wordplay. Uh, and so uh, my wife and I went, went to go see Judge John Hodgman, and a couple got onto stage to give their dilemma. And uh, I, and so I should mention that before the show, I had a chance to meet with Jesse Thorne because we know each other from the podcast world. And I hung out with Jesse and Judge John Hodgman, and it was, it was a delight and had lots of fun talking with them about Game of Thrones and other topics. And during the show, a couple went on stage to present their dilemma. It was a uh, man and a woman, and... The woman's dilemma was that her husband was uh, too lonely and didn't make enough friends and she needed him to make more friends because he was, he was driving her insane, which I thought was like kind of a cold dilemma. But I was uh, outside getting some fresh air, listening to the podcast through the double doors, right? Because it was very hot in the theater that night. And uh, as they were talking about the dilemma, it, this is, the theater is like 700 people at this point. It's like really hot. And uh, John Hodgman says, you know, um, like – what what does your what's your husband into? And he says, oh, I, I, he was a film studies major in college, right? And they talk and they talk and they talk, and eventually Judge John Hodgman says, well, I bet we could make you a friend here tonight in this room. Uh, I, I believe David Chen from the Slash Filmcast is in the audience. Gasps went through the crowd as everyone Gasps. turned to Gasps. look for for the David Chen that was among them. <laughs> I heard in the hall, right? Like I was and in you, the hall. You opened the double doors. I, like I flung Aragorn. open the double doors, and I was like, "Here I am, guys." Uh, I mean, I mean, it, really, I was much more hired than that because we had never, we had not talked right. about that going on. Um, but they got this crazy idea. They they brought me onto stage, and they asked me if I would be this guy's friend. Oh, uh, so, I'm so sad for this guy because. Knowing you, you just went, yeah. nah. nah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said this yes a, because... This is a great story, Dave. I also want to say weird flex, but uh, okay, okay. <laughs> so uh, I got on the stage and they, they asked me to be this guy's friend and I said, yes, I, I will commit to hanging out with this guy once uh, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> that's not what friend means. I was about to say, that's what friendship is, apparently. <laughs> Look, guys, 
Look, I, you know, that's already a lot. Okay, hanging out with an internet stranger, what's already, and, and we're going to see how it goes. We're going to see how it goes. It's true. As an adult, like I can, I can barely hang out with the people I want to hang that's out. That's right. With. Thank so, you, yeah, Devendra. That's something. Thank that's you. Something. Yes, I will be his friend. I will endure his presence for no more than forty-five minutes. <laughs> I, I, it has got maintaining friends when you're in your 30s is a challenge, you know. HT, I think I think you're still in your 20s, right? I mean, back I then it's everything's awesome, you know. So you're, rosy. It's it's you're so easy, hanging man. out with people, yeah. you know. When, when you get yeah. older, people like people are just wife, around. They have they have leisure time. They're just and they're just at places that you're at. <laughs> That's right. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, my wife and I actually talked about making a spreadsheet. Uh, of all of our friends, so we could like keep track of how often we're hanging out with them to make, system. you know, yeah. to make sure that we're like uh, hanging out at a, at a reasonable clip. That's that's how far we've come. <laughs> that's pretty good. I yeah. will say, isn't Seattle also known for being kind of uh, cold to newcomers? That's right. It's, it's like called the Seattle Freeze. Friends. It's called the yeah. Seattle Freeze. So it is such a thing that it has a name, and everybody knows what it is. Maybe it's that's... because people are using spreadsheets to keep track of their friends. <laughs> You, you know what, Jeff? People, people. You know, if you're if you lived here, you would wish people would keep track of their friends using spreadsheets, because uh, otherwise they just wouldn't hang out with you at all because of the Seattle freeze, as I just said. If so, you put enough Microsoft and Amazon people in one location, this is really the only way they survive. It's spreadsheet. Yeah, it's all spreadsheets. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So uh, okay, okay. Uh, so I, I emailed this guy. Uh, his name is Kyle, and I emailed him, and I basically offered him, you know, outs if he wanted. I was like, "Hey, I don't know if you think the the ruling of Judge John Hodgman is binding. Most people do, uh, but if <laughs> if you if you do, then we can hang out. And if you don't, and it was just like a fun little joke, uh, then we don't need to hang out. But he was like, "No, of course we should hang out." And of course, his wife insisted that we hang out as well. So uh, I suggested a movie. Like, it's actually hard to choose a movie that. I'd be interested in because I've seen most of them or they're bad. Let's go see Serenity. Yeah. <laughs> Close one. Close one. We didn't go see Serenity, although I almost invited him to come with me to that movie. But uh, I, I uh, Is this how you're going to reveal that I've been replaced on the show, Dave? <laughs> that, is, that is correct. So we went to go see Bumblebee. I suggested Bumblebee. He hadn't seen it yet. Uh, we had a lot of people asking us for a review of Bumblebee, which we will not give. Uh, have any of you seen Bumblebee? HD, have you seen Bumblebee? I have. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was the Transformers movie that um, everyone was, that should have been from the beginning. It really got to the heart and the core of why that franchise spoke to so many people, even though I didn't really grow up with it. Um, and I just, I love Haley Seinfeld so much. I think she's just a phenomenal actress. So she really sold that, um, the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. I wish it didn't land at the worst possible time of the year. Like, really, yeah. that was the problem for me. I think, uh, I think it's pretty good. I, I, I mean, this is the first Transformers movie in over a decade that I'd feel comfortable taking a kid to, which I think is kind of a prerequisite for a decent Transformers movie. Because it's about Transformers. Must, must have made the toy. your first friend date really weird that you showed up yeah. with a kid. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't do that. Uh, oh. But yeah, Bumblebee overall, I thought was decent. Like you said, HT, it's the when they first announced that they would be making a live action Transformers movie. This is the movie that I thought they would be making. Right, it's very pure-hearted. It's very uh, delightful. It's funny. Haley Steinfeld, like you said, is great as the uh, protagonist. Uh, but does I, it I, have any any robots that fart or flip the bird? No, no robots because... farting. No racist robots. No robots pissing on John Turturro. Dangling uh, balls. Are there any dangling balls? No dangling balls. No random oh. upskirt shots of models and stuff like that. Like mm. it's just, it is a very wholesome 
movie. It doesn't seem like a Transformers movie at all. <laughs> I know. It's crazy that that's, that's what we think of as Transformers movies. Uh, but ultimately, I, I mean, I think it's a movie for kids. It's, 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 to, to me, it's like there, there's – it's like very – it's kind of silly. It's very silly, right? And it, there's actually some great fourth wall breaking moments, particularly involving John Cena, who I think is very fun in the movie. Um, but it's not like a, uh, a serious movie. It's not an action movie. Uh, in the way that other Transformers movies were action movies, I, I will say the action that's in the movie uh, is much more comprehensible than in the other in the other Transformers movies. We can all agree that John Cena is going to have a long and illustrious career, and that he mm-hmm. he's he's not going to be the Rock. He's going to, I think, have an even more interesting filmography when he's when it's all said and done. Yeah, because he's, I think, able to make fun of himself more. Yeah. He takes bigger risks on screen. He doesn't I, always I, have to be the good guy, too. Which yes, is interesting. He, yeah. I'm a fan of what he's doing. I've been a fan of him in the WWE for many, many years, even though a lot of people don't like him. I've always been in, in his corner, and uh, I'm so excited to see him sort of become a movie star in a really unconventional way, especially for a, a wrestler. He's not kind of taking those parts, and I think that's great. He has one of my favorite lines in Bumblebee where the the government's thinking of partnering up with the Decepticons and he's saying it's a bad idea and he says something like, these guys are called Decepticons. Doesn't that raise a red flag for anyone? <laughs> uh, which I, I thought was pretty amazing. They don't understand our human language, okay? They just <laughs> chose the first word they saw. <laughs> there is one scene in this movie. I tweeted about this when I first saw the movie. There is one scene in the movie that's really, really chilling. It happens very early on. And these Decepticons land on Earth, and they're trying to look for Bumblebee, and uh, there's this couple that's been arguing. Like, they land, like, right in front of this couple, this wife and husband that's arguing. And uh, one of them just says, like, wow, Earth is so much more primitive than I thought it was, and then takes out his gun and vaporizes the man in the couple. Just, like, vaporizes mm-hmm. him just, to, just because he can. Just because he can. Then they fly off uh, in search of their prey, and... The man and the wife and whatever, that situation is never referred to again. Uh, and it reminds me of, uh, like, what would happen if an advanced civilization ever encountered uh, humans, right? For real. Like, we would just be potentially completely irrelevant to their aims. So a chilling depiction of what first contact might be like in the movie Bumblebee. Anyway, on <laughs> no, that note. So you're, you're bearing the lead here, Dave. How did the, how did the date turn out? You know. Are you guys going to. Are you guys, is your is your friendship blossoming? Are you is there going to be a, a second rendezvous? I found him to be a very charming fellow, and uh, I think I'm gonna invite him to some more screenings, and we'll wow. see how things go. So, uh, was there a, Serenity round that, two, right? Yep, Serenity round two. That's right. How uh, did uh, how did the 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 day end? Would you as you left the theater? Was there any? Post movie stops mm. to, to discuss. Yeah, we had, we had dinner. We had dinner afterwards. Had a, had a fun conversation. For real, uh, he he's an introvert, which is why it's challenging for him to make friends. And mm. we talked about the Seattle Freeze, and I said, "Have you heard of the Seattle Freeze?" And he said, "Yeah, it's great. I love not talking to anyone." <laughs> which, but he's uh, also living the downside of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but it was good. It was good. We had a we had a fun time. Uh, and more than that, Jeff, I can't say I don't kiss and tell. You know, so. Mm. Uh, but that is how I came to see Bumblebee with a random person from the Judge John Hodgman audience, and that's what I've been watching this week. Devinder Harder, what have you been watching? Pretty good. Top that. Oh, yeah, I can't. I can't really top that. Um, if I say Street Fighter Two to you mm. all, 
Do you do you do you know what that is? Does music instantly pop in your head? Yes. Do you of hear the Hadoukens and sound effects? All right, okay, let, let me try. It. Let me try. It. It's like Is that right? There yeah. you go. It's in our souls. So if the, if you feel that way, then High Score Girl on Netflix is for you. It's an anime series set in the '90s about a kid who's obsessed with video games and discovers a girl in his class who's also obsessed with video games and is very good at them, probably better than him. And they form this sort of like rivalry that turns into uh, somewhat of a romance thing. Um, I but saw this. Also... It was called Ready Player One. I saw that. Oh, don't don't you dare! Don't you dare, Jeff. <laughs> um, but it is. It is like it is a show built around '90s arcade and game console nostalgia. So it's a ton of Street Fighter. There's a ton of like uh, all the SNK games, Mortal Kombat, and everything. Um, it's a show that's rooted in all that, um, but also explores this young romance, which I found really sweet and really heartening. Um, and yeah, I just want to say definitely check it out. Even if a romantic anime series does not seem up your alley, I think it's worth watching the show just to go back and see, you know, see those things again. See like when people were amazed by Street Fighter 2, when Street Fighter 2 Turbo happened, when Super Street Fighter happened and there were new characters and seeing people being amazed at who you could play with. Uh, I think it really taps into that 90s nostalgia really well. And I like the romance part of it, too. Uh, the characters all around are pretty great. Um, it, it, it is one of those anime shows that I think may, may like, put the girl on a pedestal to the point where, like, uh, the show's called High Score Girl. The girl in question has literally no lines, unfortunately. Uh, she's just very good at video games and uh, very quiet throughout most of the show. Uh, and the uh, really rambunctious boy who's game obsessed uh, does most of the talking. So that part kind of bugged me. It's very anime-esque. Uh, but you know, beyond that, I think it's a really sweet show. And it also goes to show, I, it says a lot about like young relationships and like the emotional, you know, just how emotionally naive we are in high school and middle school. Where if like you like somebody and you don't know how to tell them and you yeah you, you can't admit that to yourself or something, it's very sweet. Uh, I think gamers anybody who appreciates good anime will enjoy it. So that's High Score Girl H I yes. Score Girl, H -I. Uh, and it's available on Netflix. Devendra, what else have you been watching? Also on Netflix is Sex Education, which is a new British romantic comedy series about high school kids uh, who end up. It's about a boy who forms his own like uh, sex therapy sessions at the school to like help other kids with their sex problems. Uh, it's a really weird and unique premise, uh, but I think it's really bolstered by the cast. Uh, the show stars uh, Asa Butterfield, who has been in many, many movies, and I really enjoy him as a presence. And seeing him here as like this uh, awkward teen boy who's still a virgin, even though his mother, played by Gillian Anderson, by the way, his mother is also a sex therapist, and like his house is just like, you know, he's he's surrounded by this stuff 24 seven, but he feels kind of inadequate about it because like, yeah, he he has not had sex yet. He's very inexperienced. At the same time, he knows enough to help out other kids. So there's a nice balance going on here, um, you know, subject matter wise. And I think the kids in general are really great. Uh, you know, all of his friends, they kind of go into this whole idea together. And it's really funny to see, like, even the kids who would be the bullies or the mean girls end up being the ones who need sex help and relationship help. And they have to come to this like team of misfits to help them out. I find that part really sweet. Um, and yeah, it's just a really fun, enjoyable show. It is, uh, I think maybe because it is a British romantic comedy series, uh, it is very, very nudity 
uh, prone. Like it's very explicit at times. So not something you watch with your folks around or anything, uh, but it's a really fun show. Definitely worth watching. Uh, let's sex education. You get, you guys have a policy on like when you watch, I assume when you watch TV, the kids aren't like not in the room at all. Right. It, uh, I mean, you can't avoid it, but for me right now, I think, uh, there are a lot of like no screen recommendations basically until a baby is like 18 months or so. Hmm. And yeah, do my best to like keep her away from that. But at the same time, when a baby is screaming and literally the only thing that will quiet the baby down is staring at, you know, moving you know images and flashing lights, uh, you know, then we end up watching a little TV together. It's fine. Gotcha. I, I was just yeah. asking the question because you're saying how inappropriate it is to be watching with. Uh... I'm saying it's inappropriate with your parents. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about your children. It's really <laughs> awkward with your parents. Got it. Got it. OK. All right. Well, that's Sex Education's on Netflix right now. And Devinder, what else am I watching? Uh, just a quick shout out to Good Girls, which is apparently an NBC show that I've never heard about. It is basically Breaking Bad with Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman. Uh, they're all mothers in Detroit, I believe, who are facing like financial uh, you know, issues. Uh, so they decide to, to rob a grocery store and things escalate from there. It's a really fun show. I really yeah, I like all these actors. Um, and it's, yeah, I think their interplay is really good and it's very, it's very Breaking Bad-esque, you know, cause once they start this, they can't really stop it and, you know, shit continues to hit the fan. Uh, really enjoyable. The first season's on Netflix right now. I had no idea the show was on NBC, but I believe that is, uh, the second season's either airing. Yeah, it's airing now too. I for... think, uh, it was advertised at like last year's Super Bowl, if I recall correctly. Like there's a yeah. ton of ads. It's cause they're, they're robbing things and that was like a yeah. high concept for the show. So I don't watch those ads. So yeah. But it's, it's so interesting to see how like shows are being rediscovered on yep. video on demand now, right? Like uh, a big example is you, the Lifetime <laughs> original series, uh, that would, did very poorly on Lifetime. Like as far as I know, they weren't going to renew it for a second season. Right. And then it got picked up on Netflix. And not only uh, has Netflix, I think, declared that it's been viewed by 40 million people, but also Netflix is funding the second season. <laughs> Uh, so, or as someone put it, uh, on Twitter, they, like they're really drinking lifetime's milkshake in this case. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it, that says a lot about the lifetime stigma, but also, yeah, about Netflix's sheer powerhouse, uh, level as a media conglomerate at this point. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good girl season two, by the way, starts on March 3rd. So you have time to catch up. It's there's, well worth it. There's never been anything on the lifetime channel that's been seen by 40 million people. Yeah, it's just. It's it's I mean, not just Lifetime. We shouldn't. We shouldn't pile on Lifetime like many cable channels, right? So yeah, many no, cable I, channels. But Lifetime in particular has a certain stigma, I think, which they is not, not always unreal when they could have. Yeah, you know, I would say show. yes. I would say yes, except I I saw season two of Unreal. Yeah, HD, it was bad. And, uh, it's not good. <laughs> season one was solid worse. though. Season one of Unreal season was, one was great. Yeah. Season and, uh, one was great, and then it went very downhill from Hulu, there. Hulu saved Unreal, didn't they? And it didn't quite work out for them. Well, that's that's Good Girls, and uh, Devinder watched it on Netflix, even though it first debuted on NBC, and we'll see how uh, that continues to happen in our digital age. Jeff Kanata, you have done something that you extremely rarely do, which is take David Chen's advice. Yeah. Yeah, you'd think I would have learned my lesson at this point, but uh, <laughs> but no, I still I still go back into the into the into the breach. Um, <laughs> last week, you raved about Escape at Danamora, and uh, it sounded like a show uh, that I would love and that my wife would love and that we would love to binge. And uh, 
it physically pains me to say so, but man, you were right. <laughs> nice. It is. Uh, it's a fantastic show. We're, we're not finished yet. Uh, we're about halfway through. Uh, it's a short show, but um, each episode feels like a film. It yeah. feels like a, yeah. a, a full film. Mo- uh, most, I think the shortest episode is 55 minutes, So like, and the longest episode is like 90 minutes. So they're, they're very lengthy episodes, I would say. But they're also structured like a movie, and they're shot beautifully. Yeah. But they're also sort of each one – has its own intro kind of thing going on. It, it feels like a filmic experience, a cinematic experience. Um, so they're full full meals each episode. And uh, man, it, it's great. The performances are outstanding. Paul Dano and um, Benicio Del Toro. But especially... Uh, um, Patricia Arquette? Patricia Arquette. Oh, my God. God, she's amazing. She's always amazing. She's just always great. But this show in particular, she really is is just free to be uh, <laughs> ugly and despicable and sort of um, yeah, uh, not not a good person in this show, right? Yeah. Not a good person. Yeah. Um, but very believable, very real. I mean, this is a true story. They're playing real people. Um, but I have not yet gone to kind of see if if there's a, a likeness that's that's comparable yeah. i haven't looked you, you, up the story uh here's a pro tip don't google uh real life people of shows that you're watching that are based on real life things because <laughs> yeah. it will almost certainly spoil it like right i'm like, not I'm like not gonna... literally the google autocomplete will spoil <laughs> what is going to happen in the show so don't yeah don't do that uh but it is it it's phenomenal it, it it is beautifully shot by uh you know uh, ben stiller directed it, it each episode and uh i'm suddenly in awe of his directorial talent it's it's, it's, it's really like felt like it came out of nowhere like we've seen him yeah. direct things before but this is like of a of an order of magnitude more difficulty than i feel like anything he's ever done and um, Such daring choices and really allowing the actors to sort of flourish in ways that you don't normally see in television shows like this. It's it's really good and uh, also kind of makes your skin crawl in in a lot of ways. (laughs) I mean – Just wait, Jeff. Just wait. What? Just wait? Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, My wife and I are watching it together and it – I want to put this in a way. I think this is a public service announcement. If (laughs) – if you're watching a show with your significant other before bed and you're hoping to have some special intimate time afterwards, <laughs> do not do not watch this show. <laughs> do not watch this show. I like our new recommendations. Don't watch it with your parents. Yeah. But, uh, Don't watch it with your kids. Yeah. It it uh it is it it being intimate will be the furthest thing from either of your minds after watching it. It makes uh it makes sex kind of disgusting on every level. Uh, I, I will say I watched this, this show with my wife, and uh, she she was very upset by the show because there are some really, really abusive relationships depicted in the show of various yeah. kinds. And she's just like – she at numerous points, she turned to me and was like, we're not like that, right? We're not like that, right? <laughs> I mean it is really uh, an upsetting show. So uh, good good advice, Jeff. Yeah. Good advice. I'm glad you seconded that. Yeah. Uh, it is. Uh, it's. It's very w- much worth watching, though. It's. It's called Escape at Danamora. 
And uh, it is where is it on Netflix? It's on Showtime. 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 That's yeah. right. I watched it on uh, on Amazon. Uh, it's all on Netflix, man. Yeah, no, it, it is on Showtime, and uh, yeah, you can get the Showtime uh, on Prime Video channels. Um, full disclosure: I work at Amazon, so yeah. Um, but uh, that's how I watched it, and it was a pretty good experience. So uh, the show is Escape It Down More. Check it out. Hui Chen Bui, what have you been watching this week? So this is a show that I've plugged on Slash Film Daily, but I want to plug it again because I feel like this is a show that, speaking of shows that don't get enough attention, um, this is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So this is a CW series that has a very unfortunate name, but um, it is well worth your time. It's... um, created by Rachel Bloom and Aline Brosh McKenna. And it's this incisive, sensitive, really smart and funny um, sort of send up of the rom-com genre while being a nuanced uh, depiction of mental illness. And uh, it's, also extremely hilarious and it's a musical series which is something that i know um either turn people away from it or (laughs) they people are not aware of it completely and uh each of the musical numbers are just are just so smartly done and um are often a parody of some certain genre or type of song which stems from um rachel bloom's time as a youtube star kind of doing viral videos that like parodied certain pop songs and uh if that takes that basically takes that premise and turns it into a full-fledged show about a um, a woman who uh, meets an ex-boyfriend and finds that he fulfills like this deep gaping hole in her soul. And he, she follows him to West Covina, California, and decides to try to uh, win him back and steal him from his current girlfriend. And follows uh, him from th- New York, by the way, because yes. that's not weird. Yeah. Yeah. She follows him cross country. Yes. And um, in process, she gets in very many hijinks and she kind of imagines a lot of her life and scenarios through these musical numbers. And it's it kind of uses this more lighthearted delivery system to to speak on more dark issues like depression and mental illness. Um, I don't want to get into what type of mental illness without kind of going into I, I just like using this, the word as like, it's referring to it as a spoiler, but mm-hmm. it is something that is definitely like dealt with really well and in a way that I didn't anticipate the show going in at all. And um, especially now in its fourth and final season, uh, it's really dealing with uh, Rebecca's sort of treatment and the way that she is finally sensitively dealing with that mental illness and living with it um, in a way that's like, very rare that you see on TV. And uh, I absolutely love this show. Um, This most recent episode was one of my favorites of the entire show. It basically was a um, perfect distillation of every rom-com trope um, and also a sort of winking homage at Aline Brosh McKenna's screenplays that she wrote for The Devil Wears Prada and 27 Dresses and um, was just um, such a joy to watch while having, of course, some hilarious musical numbers. So I highly recommend this series. Um, it's it's so smart. I wish I could sell it better because it's a series that well-deserved your time and is one of the better, well, like, well-written comedy shows um, on TV today. And it's going to be ending soon, so I'm very sad. It's only, I think it's ending in 
April, March. Mm. Um, well, it's wrapping up its fourth season now. So, um, but you can check out the first three seasons of the series on Netflix. Cool. Uh, and I assume that's how you watched it. Yes. Yes, I did. It did. Um, I didn't catch my attention actually until um, one of its songs won a Golden Globe, and I kind of feel like that win helped keep skating by, but despite low ratings, um, and like let the the creators finish the the story they intended to do from the beginning. Um, and because of that, thanks for that Golden Globe win. It should it deserves many more Emmys and Golden Globes, but is sadly overlooked. Mm-hmm. All right, and, yeah. and you're completely caught up, yeah. I am. All right. Very cool. Uh, well, that's my crazy ex-girlfriend. Uh, just crazy or, ex-girlfriend. No, sorry. Not my crazy ex-girlfriend. <laughs> just crazy ex-girlfriend. Cleaner that way. Um, and it is on Netflix right now. Check it out. Seasons one through three. All I right. I just want to say that's another show, by the way, that got a nice push from Netflix. Like once it landed there, the people were able to binge it. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if we can stop anything about this Netflix monstrosity in our media landscape, uh, but there you go. It's a fantastic show. Chrissy and I talked about it too, I think a while back around season two, uh, but yeah, everybody watched it together. It's a good couple show. Definitely get to watch it together. Very cool. Uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is the show. That's going to bring us to the end of what we've been watching. Before we move on into our review of The Kid Who Would Be King, we got to thank a few donors to the Slash Filmcast. Uh, some people subscribed at the rate of $2 per month this uh, week. Thomas Willas and Rob Redwood. Also, some people donated to the podcast, Roberto Villarreal, Matt Schwabenbauer. Uh, I I don't think I wrote that down correctly. I'm going to have to look that up again. Um, uh, Ewan from Scotland, Patrick Schumacher, who calls us the highlight of his commute. Brian S. from Sydney, Australia. Brad Haney, who gave us a super generous donation and says we are the first and only film podcast he's listened to, but he can say with certainty that we are the best one. Which Oh, never listen to any others. Never (laughs) listen to any others, other than maybe Blank Check and other ones that we might recommend. Nicholas from Philadelphia, who said he wants us to keep doing this as long as the sits remain good. Michael L. from Woodenville, Washington, who is donating in the name of Nancy Lucero. According to Michael, we are the only podcast you will listen to. Uh, which sounds Yay. like a, 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 as much of a gift to us as it is an affliction for her. Um, <laughs> and uh, we also have a donation from Jed Enterprises on behalf of Aaron Hendo in Chicago. It's a birthday gift donation. And wow. he wanted us to read this limerick uh, mm. as well about Aaron Hendo in Chicago. Uh, he finds this podcast so comical, but alas, he is quite economical. So without hesitation, please accept this donation and wish his birthdays phenomenal. Nice. Yeah. Pretty not good. bad. Yeah. Not a we bad do wish your there. birthdays phenomenal. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Well, you we should always... also point out, uh, you know, if you if you've been listening a long time, you may notice that it's been a few episodes without any sponsors. So we are doubly grateful for everybody <laughs> <Yes>. that has <laughs> donated and uh, and and you know, made sure the show can continue. It's it's really appreciated. On that note, I should say that uh, for a variety of reasons too complex to get into right now, uh, we are about to move podcast hosting companies uh, for the second time in two years. And every time <laughs> it, it, it is always enormously stressful uh, because like things break, things go bad. Um, and so uh, that might happen this week. Your patience is appreciated. If you experience any glitches in your Slash Filmcast experience, just tweet at us, at Slash Filmcast on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us there as well just for updates on the show. But, uh, yeah, please please stick with us for the next couple weeks 
Uh, we're trying to make things better on the back end and uh, hope you will enjoy us in our final form at our new podcast hosting company. So Just imagine the Simpsons like technical difficulties logo <laughs> popping up once yeah. in a while. That's right. That's right. So... All right, uh, you can always donate to this show by going to paypal.me slash filmcast or use uh, slash film.com, click on the slash filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. You should never donate if it in any way creates a hardship for you. But if you uh, are able to donate, we really appreciate you throwing some money our way and helping us defray the cost of doing the show. All right, let's move on to our review of The Kid Who Would Be King. Alex, you're going to be late. Okay, okay. Tom. Here. Thanks, Mom. A land is only as good as its leaders. Somebody help me! Hey, leave him alone. A true king is brave and noble. Don't be a hero. I'm the king around here. You have more battles yet to fight. As far as you can go, we've got you now! Now, you must choose... What you stand for. Berenice, you've got to see what I found. There's something written on the guard. Put it into Google Translate. It means Sword of Arthur. What if you're the only person who could have pulled that sword out? What if it's Excalibur? Ah, finally. Follow me. I am Merlin. I thought Merlin was supposed to be an old man. An ingenious disguise, don't you think? In four days, the dark sorcerer Morgana will take over the world. Wake up, my warriors. And I'm supposed to stop her. That's ridiculous. There's your sword back, and good luck with everything. That was from the trailer of The Kid Who Would Be King, the newest film by writer-director Joe Cornish. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A band of kids embark on an epic quest to thwart a medieval menace. Uh, and this movie, unfortunately, did not do super well at the box office this weekend. Uh, nothing did very well at the box office this weekend. This movie and Serenity both kind of bombed. Um, this movie made about $7 million, uh, but it was budgeted at $59 million, which is a rough return. I think it will eventually do okay. I think it will eventually be discovered uh, on You just can't beat demand. that glass. I you think can't beat that glass. You can't, you beat can't the shatter ups. that glass. Yeah. You can't shatter right. that it's glass. Unbreakable. It's unbreakable. It's unbreakable. <laughs> um, the, the upside? It's, uh, they split the audience Yay. so that they would only see that movie. Nice. Nice. Maybe in the water. Glass is a beast. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like people had a sixth sense about which movie they wanted to see and uh, decided to, decided to the visit, <laughs> d- decided to the visit the, the theater. Yes. Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> you had to ruin it. You had to ruin it. Uh, it left people at the studio wondering, what's the happening? Okay. Um, we're done. Man. We're done. What's his first movie, Stuart Little? <laughs> praying, praying with Anger. Praying with yes. Anger, yeah. <laughs> it, left it left the financiers of this movie praying with anger. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, that's inexcusable. That's inexcusable. Um, okay, so uh, movie didn't do so well, unfortunately. L- let me ask you this before we get started. HT, uh, were you a fan of Joe Cornish's last movie, uh, Attack the Block? All right, I have a confession to make. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't watch Attack the Block until after I saw The Kid Who Would Be King. Oh, wow. wow. 
Well, yeah, that's cool. That, that's cool that you at least got... you had the motivation to catch up on the filmography. So yeah, yeah, this was a movie I never got around to. I heard so many good things, and just from what I heard from it and from the cast, John Boyega and Jodie Whittaker, I knew this was a movie that I would really like. I just never got around to it until after I saw The Kid Who Would Be King, and um, I I really loved Attack the Block. I will say it's such a thrilling, well made, um, just. Uh, jolts of energy and um, what a great directorial debut and um i can see why people would be disappointed by the kid who would be king after seeing attack the block but but were you um, disappointed ht i was not having not seen attack the block beforehand i didn't really know what to expect for uh the kid who would be king um i had seen trailers i knew i liked arthurian tales of some sort so i went in with like very little expectations, but I came away pleasantly surprised. Um, this was just kind of a perfect family film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed how this film um, managed to capture the essence of 80s movies and like that 80s kid adventure movie, like The Goonies especially was something that I got. Um, I felt a lot of similarities could be drawn to um, and other like St- Steven Spielberg Amblin films. And um, without being set, in the 80s, which is something that I think was even more impressive than all the other nostalgia grabs that we've had where like Bumblebee was something that was set in the 80s and it had that 80s feeling and that was great because it embedded us in that time period. But I feel like um, The Kid Who Would Be King was something, captured that spirit without just like uh, appealing to our base nostalgic instincts. Looking at you, Super 8, straight at you. (laughs) <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I'm glad I'm not Super 8 tonight, Devendra. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you liked uh, the movie HD. My question for Devendra, what did you think of uh, of The Kid Who Would Be King? Yeah, I absolutely love this movie, uh, mainly for everything HT said. I think um, a good kid's movie, a kid's movie that is both thrilling and exciting and maybe a little scary, um, is kind of a rare thing to find these days, especially in terms of lack of action. I, th- I think we're getting more of those in, when it comes to like CG movies, especially the like uh, Lord and Miller films. Um, but like a good live action kids movie, it just feels like a rare, rare thing. And I had very little hope for this movie, honestly, at first when I heard the premise and then I heard it was Joe Cornish and I saw that trailer and I, I got a, I got a little I got a little excited, I have to say. And this movie reminded me of seeing, you know, the Goonies for the first time. Reminded me of all those 80s films. Honestly, The Goonies isn't even the one that's the touchdown for me. For me, it's really Hook, which is a movie that I know a lot of people don't like. But if you grew up with that movie, you fucking love it. You know, like that's it. That That is a movie that you completely adore. Um, and I think this just hits all those notes. Um, it's a great adventure. It's a movie, about, you know, it's telling. I think there's some great emotional beats here about a kid who's, you know, having a hard time. Uh, just going through life, being bullied. Uh, he's not sure where his dad is, and he's like, you know, he's just unsure of himself and where he is in the world. Um, at the same time, it's a movie where he can kind of find some strength within himself. He can work together with the people who are bullying him and beating him up, and you know, find some common ground there, and you know, save the world. And I think that's really exciting and really fascinating. Um, I think it handles all these plot points really well. It's also a really fun spin on the whole Arthurian legends uh, in the same way that I think Hook is a really good remix of the Peter Pan stuff. 
Um, and it, secretly, this movie, I guess, is also a weird uh, Excalibur sequel. Thanks to Patrick Stewart, sort of, kind of, maybe. <laughs> I didn't realize that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Excalibur. That is one of my favorite films. Uh, I remember watching that movie when I was a child. And uh, just that is not a kid's movie. That is not a kid's movie at all. That movie is violent and weird and like sexual in ways that my you know childhood brain could not appreciate. Uh, but I definitely knew something cool was going on in this weird punk rock of a movie. Um, this, you know, the kid would be king does not have that, but I think it's really genuine, very pure in terms of what it's doing for kids' movies. Um, yeah, loved everything about it. Cast was great. Great to see Patrick Stewart having a little fun here. Um, it is not. I, I could see if you're coming at this after Attack the Block and you want another, like maybe, maybe something with kids that has a harder edge to it. That's more for the PG thirteen crowd. This is not that movie, but I still think it's a lot of fun. There are some scary moments here. I think that there's some creature design that's really well done, including Morgana. Um, and at times like this movie, this little movie about kids going on a King Arthur legend starts to evoke like Lord of the Rings, you know, especially in terms of those uh, re- really long helicopter shots. Uh, you really get the sense of adventure here. There are so many references in this movie to other epic fantasies. Uh, I kind of loved eating all that up too. So yeah, love it. Can't wait to see what Joe Cornish does next. Jefferson Kanata. So curious what you think of the kid who would be king. Well, Dave, I guess you could say (laughs) my feelings about this movie are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Could you say that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can't say this movie rocks, but there's also not much to knock. If I was eight, this movie'd be great. It's just no attack the block. <laughs> nice. Well done. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Well done. Yeah. So I'll echo a lot of what has been said. I just I just came away from it a little less enthusiastic than everybody else. This movie's fine. It's it's fine. It, it, I really mean when I say if I was eight, I would love it. Yeah. It's made for eight year olds, right? It. And you guys have name checked some films: Goonies, Hook. Mm-hmm. I would add the movies for me that were when I was eight. Monster Squad, yeah, Explorers, yeah, yeah. and those movies, I have no doubt that if I saw them today for the first time, mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel about them the way I do because I saw them when I was eight. And that's kind of the thing. It's kind of unfair for me to hold this mm-hmm. movie up to how I feel as a, as a full-grown adult because it, it's really about uh, the the imagination of a child. Never ending story is another. This movie references that in a, in a way too oh, about yeah. love of books and sort of that kind of thing. Um, and I think it does everything pretty well. I mean, I think the movie's a little longer than it needs to be. It has kind of a a false ending, and it keeps going for another like half an hour after that, which is like oh, it fe- made made it feel a little long for me. Um, but it's kind of it wears its heart on its sleeve. It's it's not afraid to be a little hokey and a little goofy. And it actually has a lot to say about the world right mm-hmm. now yeah. Yeah. that I plot it for. Like Joe Cornish decided he was going to talk to kids about what's going on in the world today and make something aspirational and inspirational about being a good person in a harsh world. Yeah. And it's an for, anti-Brexit movie for kids. Yeah. It's an anti-Trump, hilarious. anti-Brexit, anti-harshness and selfishness and, uh, might makes right kind of movie. Yeah. And, and I right up Jeff Kanata's alley, basically very mm-hmm. much. So. And like I said, if I was eight, I would adore it. It just, eight they're, year old they're, Jeff Kanata would be like, this is about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yes. Now, Mom oh and man. Dad. Eight year old me 
just hated Trump, you know, even then. <laughs> That's um, true. I, I also he did. saw He saw <laughs> Trump in Home Alone 2 and was like, F this guy. Yeah. Never again. Who is no this way. schmuck? Uh, uh, anyway. Jeff, what you're saying, though, like this, I, I do think this movie kind of holds its own against a lot of the 80s movies because I... Uh, Compared to like the Goonies, I don't think the Goonies is a good movie, and the Goonies doesn't even hold up for me. Uh, I I could say the same about Hook. I think this movie, on a quality level, does a lot more than what those early movies did. Like it's not just through a kid's eyes. I think like qualitatively, the writing, the direction, like so much of what is going on in this movie feels a whole other level better. Fair enough. I, I think that's probably true, but it, you know, I you could say that Into the Spider Verse is a kids movie, and I didn't come out of the kid would be king feeling the way I came out of into the spider verse. You know what I mean? It's not. Oh, yeah. It, 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 so well, yeah, I think, perfect I think movie. It's, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Rough comparison, um, Jeff, rough comparison. Cause it, it is rough yeah. Comparison. Into the spider verse is like a singularly good creation. <laughs> well, um, you know, and, and I would, I guess it's unfair to hold this up to that, but I, I do feel it's possible to create a kid's adventure that I would feel that way about as an adult. This movie, I just didn't. And, it's fine. It's it, it does some wonderful things. Uh, I particularly enjoy the young version of Merlin yes. and and mm-hmm. and the depiction of magic in this movie is brilliant and clever and is the kind of thing that if I saw it as a kid, I would believe that all I have to do is figure out those series of hand gestures. Yeah, and, and I would want to do that on the playground in front of my. Fr- I would like watch this movie on VHS 150 times and memorize those hand movements and mm-hmm. figure out how to you know. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff there to yeah. dig into for kids. And as I was leaving the theater, by the way, I saw kids doing that, like in their <laughs> like just so really cute. trying to get it down. It was awesome. It's, it's it's great, and I've never seen that. Like I've literally never seen the hand jive as magic before, and it's it's, <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, and it's and there it's are for, for like the last couple of decades, it's been you know oxio whatever the yeah. hell, right? It's Point been, of been like this one thing. depiction yeah. of magic, Dave. right? Right. Uh, what, yes. what, what, I'm sorry. What is it? HD. It's Akio. Akio. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it's just it's yeah. just one fake kind of magic. Um. But uh, uh, Doctor Strange, I think, was was the new the new magic hand movement thingy. Like Doctor Strange, Strange made that cool again. Yeah. But this this is is quirky in its own, and like the, the that casting of that kid, like like mm-hmm. you have to be spectacular to make when. Patrick Stewart shows up, me to be like, ah, <laughs> you know, like I was more interested in seeing younger Merlin than older Merlin. And I, that is an accomplishment mm. for the, the, that kid. That's, um, Angus Emery. And he's, yeah, he's fantastic. Um, and he looks very strange too. He yeah. looks kind of like <laughs> your typical British, um, young actor, just like stretched out. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a neck that's about three miles long. <laughs> I mean, he looks like he, he should play young Benedict Cumberbatch in something, mm. you know? Yes. Um, and the, the lead kid is Andy Circus's child, which I did not is know. Is he really? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Louis uh-huh. Ashburn's Circus, man. Uh, anyway, so, you know, it's a charming movie that I think has a big heart and a great message. And so I'm not going to be too negative on it. It just, it just didn't, it didn't spark a lot of enthusiasm in me. I just thought it did what it did well. Yeah. I I mean, Jeff, I feel pretty much exactly the same way as you, which is that it's a bummer to not love this movie. You know, it's yeah. a it's a bummer to not even like it that much, which is and the bummer is, A, we're all rooting for Joe Cornish, who seems by all accounts to be an extremely talented filmmaker. Um, B, this movie has a great message. C, 
it is uh, it, it, basically a original story. I mean, I know it's like some people have disputed that because it's based mm-hmm. on Arthurian legend, but that is a pretty, you know. <laughs> We've seen enough actual redos of the Arthur legend that this this is definitely more this, original. This is definitely an original this story. This is a sequel to the Arthur legend, basically. Yeah. Right. So there's many things going for it that I think, uh, like, we, we want movies like this to succeed at the box office. Uh, and I it didn't really do it for me. And I, I don't want to, like, talk that much about why it didn't do it for me. Because, again, I, I just feel bad talking about why I don't like the movie. Uh, but I, I tried to think about, like, why yeah. is it that this didn't, uh, this didn't get me right, and I, I, think, do, I do kind of want to analyze this a bit, Dave, because yeah. you were you were adamant that we review Serenity, which is <laughs> the movie that you know movie Twitter. A, a lot of movie people are freaking out about because uh, it, it's a little twisty, it's a little crazy. I understand that. Um, I've also heard from many many people that's just objectively a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's a bad movie made fun. I pers- I've I argued for let's go for you know I think the more interesting engaging movie that, that is actually doing something well. There was and a that's he- why for those who don't know there's a heated text thread between the three of us about which movie we were going to review this week uh and uh, <laughs> Devendra wanted to review The Kid Who Would Be King I wanted to review Serenity we're basically reviewing both but uh yeah. it, it was uh it was intense and so yeah I I think I could best talk about why uh, I, I'm not super crazy about this movie in spoilers, but I will say one thing pre-spoilers, which is that uh, ultimately I think well, – well, first of all, two things. One, one is that I had just seen Bumblebee a couple nights ago, as, as I'd explained um, in, my, in the, what we've been watching. And very similar uh, <coughs> story in terms of this character coming to terms with their parents' death through like supernatural, extraordinary events that happened to them. Um. And so I, I think I, I felt like I'd already seen that story. And so in order for a movie to really impress me, it had to be like really different from that. Uh, and I don't know that it really succeeded in doing so. And then the second thing is that I think that I ne- like I just also watched Dark, which I, I talked about on this podcast earlier as well. And that movie also features kids. And I think that one thing about that movie and this this thing is this movie is or, or that show in this movie is that um, the kids were in peril in dark. Like, there's not that many deaths in that show, but I felt like at any moment, like something could happen that's terrible to these children. I never believe that in in this movie, and I think that that's what distinguishes this movie as a kids movie. Right? It's it's a movie where there's never really any danger, and the danger that there exists is like this kind of. Um, okay cg you know visual effects of these like you know shadowy things coming out and i never really felt like these kids were ever in any danger and i, I think that's kind of important i'm not saying like oh i, I gotta see a kid die in order to you enjoy a movie. blood child blood. Yeah, yeah i'm yeah. not saying i have bloodlust or anything like that but i'm just like i don't believe that any of them like sure. any harm is actually going to befall, befall them and so yeah. like the stakes are really kind of taken away from me in that situation so i, I could see that i yeah. do think the monster designs even though they're cg like when that first skeleton dude popped up it's a, it's a good design it's genuinely scary that thing even even today that thing pops up uh, near you I, you'd be a little scared and i think to a little kid watching this movie too that is the sort of thing that would be uh you'll remember that when you go to sleep at night and yeah, that, yeah. to me that's a good sign again if movie, you yeah if you were a kid and you watch this I, I i would have nightmares but uh i'm not and and it, it didn't really scare me that much you know what i'm saying so uh so th- those are some like earlier preliminary thoughts on why this didn't resonate with me as much as I wanted it to. 
Um, but as with Jeff, I, I got to say it's it's a lovely movie, and especially if you have a family, like it's definitely a movie I, I would feel comfortable taking my kids to. It has a great message. Um, so overall, I, I still think it's it's worth recommending. It just didn't, uh, you know, it, it doesn't live up to Attack the Block in my opinion. It's not trying to live up to Attack the Block, but. I, that's what I was hoping for, and it didn't really uh, meet that need for me. So this this is a movie I'm hoping like uh, well we don't have VHS anymore, but uh, we do have streaming services, and this is a movie that I'm hoping ends up somewhere, and a kid just ends up like playing putting this on a loop forever for their entire childhood and getting this movie in their bones because this yeah. is it's definitely worth. In 20 uh, years, we're going to have those nostalgic articles talking about how <laughs> the kid who would be king is the greatest movie ever or something. Yeah, I, so I definitely so. feel like it's going to have that part that. Um, touchstone in a lot of children's lives if it succeeds anyways it should i feel like i hope so i I want i want an entire generation of kids to take the message of this movie and live their life by it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah uh it's this is going to be you know ht this is like in 2019 this is going to be an article about like how great work is not recognized in its time right because we're going to be reading an article about how in 2019 uh the kid who would be king bombed at the box office and green book won best picture uh, and, <laughs> oh, no. and and it's going to be like, hey, like sometimes things take decades before people recognize great work for what it is. So, uh, any other thoughts before we get to spoilers? Otherwise, let's get to spoilers for the kid who would be king starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're going to see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. You want to be fooled. So, I, I have to say, I had a really bizarre feeling watching this movie that this is the first movie I've seen in an extremely long time mm-hmm. where you could excise the final 25 minutes of the movie and, and nothing fine. would happen to the movie. Like, it would I, I arguably totally be a better you. film if you just... I totally agree. Yeah. As, as much as, like, everything that happens in that thing is the is the most fun stuff it also doesn't need to be there it, it, it the movie at that point has already made its point and done it yes. like it pretty well and i'm just like that, that, that is the whole the, the whole finale sequence like banding all the, the kids together the school, yeah it's the whole point it's the whole point of the story <laughs> of coming together to save the world guys yeah, I guess. But Dude, I'm so with you on this, Dave. I'm so with you on <laughs> they this. They already I saved totally the world. Agree. He already had his big moment. Well, isn't this where he... also about him? You know, um, up until then, he had been an outsider. He yes, yeah. had never really been able to um, put himself forward in social situations. And here he is um, getting into this leadership position and forming this, ba- this mm-hmm. you know, army and and ha- have leading these kids. And I feel like that was something that was really powerful. But, but again, the they already, the, already had the thing moment. with his mom, guys, like, <laughs> let me just say before you before you get deeper, the whole point that that first uh, attempt didn't work out is because he was still angry at his mom. That scene I agree That's is important. The, end the movie was when he tells the truth to his mom and yeah. she yeah. tells the truth to him. That's and boom, the end of the movie. End of movie. End, like cut to black credits yes. right there. You know, he like, realizes, oh, the, the reason the reason I didn't succeed on my mission is because I have to tell the truth to my mom. That's right. Tell the truth to my mom. Yep. End uh, of movie. Done. End of movie. Then the world ends. No. What do you guys do? <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, you you know, I have much sympathy for what you're saying, HT, but 
uh, in terms of like, oh, it's about him like becoming a leader and blah, blah, blah. But like that already happened. That story beat already happened earlier in the movie when he, you know, with the lady in the lake and the sword. And he's like, you guys, we're going to stick together no matter what now. You know, like that whole thing that already happened. Yeah, um, I, you know, I could he's, not he's going more. from small team management to uh, <laughs> executive level management. Like, think about it that way, Dave. Come on. It's, it's true. Just a big it's micro sequence. and macro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the the other thing that I have a problem with at the end of the movie is that and this is hard because I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm being nitpicky a little bit. You're, you're being but, a negative Nelly on this one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, but I totally agree with everything you said, Dave. I, I was like, the movie's done. We're yeah, done what, what is happening? What? Yeah, uh, and, and and so I'm thinking. Oh, all right, go ahead. You finish what you're saying, Jeff, and then I'll yeah. chime in. Yeah, there is. Okay, so I love the what i like to call the a-team moment there was always a moment in the a-team where they had to like retrofit the van into something rad and do something cool and you Mm -hmm. see this montage of them putting something together and being cool you definitely have that in this movie but it's like 60 percent there it's not particularly clever it's not particularly smart the plan isn't super awesome it's it's fine (laughs) It's fine. It's neat that they're duplicating swords and shields and giving everybody armor. The armor when looks that all. Little kid figured out the duplication magic. Did you clap? Come on. I no. Come but on. Again, earlier in the movie, it paid off already. We didn't. It, it pays <laughs> off twice. But you guys, I, I have to sit back and ask, like, where did the joy in your hearts go? <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Because no. It, it's like, the, well, I understand. Like the the movie has like that one climactic moment. Watching it though, it's like, oh, that's clearly not the end. Right. Because it seems like that was all a little too easy narratively, like him going and like actually attacking Morgana the first time. Yeah, they accomplished something. But it's not like it felt like there are so many threads in the story that you still need to wrap up. And I think at least doing this bigger sequence involving more people, it ties into all these emotional beats. Well, like this that's is, the whole the, point. This the is movie, so fascinating. The point yeah. the movie is making is all of that doesn't matter because it's about telling the truth to the people you love. And it's like, yeah. no, but also we need 20 minutes of fighting. <laughs> it's, it's... I think it's also a really fun sequence, too. Yeah, and it kind yeah. of suits like this kind of kid adventure that the finale would take place in a school because that's where it always happens. But the, mm-hmm. but the point I'm trying to make is that I don't think that it went 100 percent to that. Like, yes, if you're going to do this cool sequence in a school and you're going to A-team it up and, and be clever, go 100 percent. What were the the ideas that they came up with? I loved the cars with the park benches strapped to the front. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But everything else is like there are way if you get if you set me sat me in a room with a whiteboard and said come up with 15 ideas of what little kids can do in their school to uh, to defend it. I think all of us could come up with really awesome ideas <laughs> and this movie just like it just kind of skates by on a few. It it, it just didn't go it it didn't earn its extra twenty five minutes yeah. with enough cool for me. Well, I, that that was so. This is fascinating, right? Because Jeff and I feel exactly the same way, and Devendra and HC feel the same way, which is that the the ending was justified for me. I was thinking, okay, I, I'm already like you know packing my things. I'm getting ready to go. I'm like you know <laughs> you're, just, you're ready to leave this movie. This was like, a fun time, guy. This is a fun time. A great time was had by all. Time to go, and then I, I realized you know it's funny. Like I had um I had looked up like the runtime of the movie before I got there. I was like two hours, huh? That's weird because it's one hour and thirty minutes in, and uh, the movie's already over. So they must have gotten the <laughs> runtime wrong. 
And then, uh, this then is it's not like, the first movie to do this guy. Then it's like, oh my gosh, uh, there's an, a whole additional act left. And you make this sound like this was completely out of nowhere. I felt yeah. like, yeah, like with, like Devinger was saying, it, it felt like there were threads to be tied up and that it wasn't, it was an anticlimactic ending and it needed to have some sort of big hurrah at the end. So I was thinking to myself, like, okay, there's, there's two ways this movie can justify adding another 30 minutes to this runtime, right? One is if the kind of emotional arc of the character is in some way further fulfilled by what happens here, or, or, or some of the characters are further fulfilled by what happens here. Another thing is if what is occurring is so cool, right? They're so, right. like, technically brilliant that it's like, okay, even though it wasn't necessary from a character perspective, uh, it, it justified it. Like, here's a good example of what I'm talking about in, in that category. It would be, like, um, The Raid 2. You know what I mean? Like... Where there's like 30 minutes of extra action sequences on there that like serve absolutely no character purpose, but it is so well done that I'm just like in awe of the virtuosity of it. Except um, it doesn't mean much. Like I like that movie too, and I wish that movie were shorter, or at least <laughs> I wish the action meant more. Yeah. Whereas so in this one, like the the whole sequence, guys, is it is him reckoning with this mistake he made too. Like literally. His one thing of being like still being angry at his mom, not yeah. telling the truth to his mom, put the entire world in peril. This is the cost of that. This is like you you have to go and fight to get it back. It's not just saying, sorry, mom, we're cool. We're good. The world's all right. No, it's like, oh, I fucked up. I have to. This is what an apology is. This is like I have to gather the troops. I have to like do something and show an effort to really to really like, yeah, show that I'm sorry. Basically, I also, disagree, well, dude. I'm sorry, go ahead, HG. Well, I see what you're saying about having a technically cool and awesome sequence that would just be like pay off having the extra 20 minutes. I do think that would go against the character of um, of Alex Alexander. Yeah, Alex. Mm -hmm. And because he's always been kind of the underdog. He's not someone who's like amazingly brilliant or technical. He just kind of scrapes by through his his heart and his um, his friends and like whatever he can do. So I feel like this was something that was realistic in the sense of like who this character was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying like he should be like an amazing swordsman and have a big fight or something like that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like what I'm I'm talking about from a filmmaking perspective. Do you know what I mean? Yes. There's something in there that is so unique and so interesting that I want to keep watching. And I just don't think it met that bar for me. I mean, I think that, uh, it, it was more of the same, in my more of what we'd already seen that didn't really um, serve, in my opinion, an additional purpose. But Jeff, I, I was actually I was waiting for you guys to be like the main plot hole here is how how are all those kids learning how to use weapons and wear armor <laughs> in like ten minutes? Like that's what I was sitting here waiting for, not this. But <laughs> okay, here here's one shot in the final <laughs> sequence that was really interesting. Was uh, there, there's this very chilling moment when. Like Merlin hypnotizes all the all the teachers and he's like, mm-hmm. I need your keys, right? And they they all kind of like take out their keys with like dead eyes and like hold them out. <laughs> I was like, yeah. wow, that's that is a creepy shot. So, but it's yeah. like that kind of stuff that I'm like, wo- like moments like that that I'm looking for when you, in my opinion, extend a movie past its necessary end time by thirty minutes. I know we disagree on whether it's necessary or not. Jeff, you were gonna say something earlier. Well, I also think that the fun – a lot of the fun of this movie is modern times versus medieval times, mm-hmm. right? Which is why I loved cars with you know, park benches strapped to their hoods and slamming into the, the horses. I was like, yes, that's what this, this whole sequence should be is these kids using what they've got in their own time 
in this place that they know better than anybody else because it's their school and all of the things, all of the things about school that you could use to have the advantage. And you get that one car thing, which is cool. And then they like trip them with ropes and Mm -hmm. somehow they hoisted very heavy things up into the raft. (laughs) Like it, none of it is, none of it is clever enough to justify the fun sequence. I wanted it to be, you know, a real exploration of what makes school, what, about kids and school, could they use to their advantage that it that would surprise and delight me? Right, and so it's something that you're like you watch and you're like, oh, I, I would never have thought that they could do something that cool, right? But it maybe, makes so much sense. Just, you know, maybe it's a statement on the fact that you know we don't really have things anymore. All kids have our smartphones, right? So <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta do all this stuff. I will say the the one complaint I have about this movie, they cast Rebecca Ferguson as Morgana. I think the little bits we see of her are really fun. She she's really like biting into that role. Uh, but as soon as she gets interesting as a character, she turns into a CG monster and gets less yeah. interested. And I would have liked to see more of actual Rebecca Ferguson being all, uh, you know, evil person uh, at the end fight, too. That would have been fun. And, 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 you know, another point I'll make is that you get that moment where they give the magic potion to Merlin. and But if we had seen them prepare that potion and like make a big deal about magic potion where modern world's version of magic potion. It could have been a much more satisfying moment than just like, Oh, we have a magic potion. We ground up all these things and oh, they made I, a smoothie. That's no, I, I, I think it's clever, but the movie didn't maximize that moment by <laughs> setting it up and making it cool. I, I think to me, that's the joke. Like, Oh, we, we just made a smoothie Merlin, like chillax. <laughs> what you call right. a potion. I hit, I hit, I hit, yeah, I put it in the Vitamix for 10 seconds, Merlin. This is magic. Okay. That's also, the joke. If if all it takes is for you to to knight somebody to fight for you, wouldn't those kids maybe think to knight some adults? <laughs> well, like any well, good no, kids okay, movie, Jeff. Now you really are, are just nitpicking, okay? No, I am yeah, just nitpicking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, okay. That one I don't. Really a couple. Let me just throw out a couple other things that uh, you know to not be completely negative. Uh, I like that scene when the trees first came out of the uh, mm-hmm. the ground. Like that. That was probably the single coolest effect in the movie for me. Is like yeah. Tree, not since the Ents in uh, the Two Towers have we seen trees that cool. Uh, tree technology in, has in come a, a fantasy, long way. Yeah, tree technology has come quite a long way since the Ents. Um, so that gotcha. was the best. Best was uh, sneezing into an owl every time. Oh, so good. Oh that's, yeah, really that's cool wonderful. effect. Really, cool. I like yeah, that cool effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also think that they, like Joe Cornish as a director, like he didn't, he didn't, uh, he could have made this movie a lot easier on himself, right? But he didn't mm-hmm. like. There's scenes of the kids riding horses, and you know, um, and they need to like climbing mountainsides. Pull, yeah, yeah. mountainsides. They need to like convincingly pull off that effect, and uh, and so I thought like I appreciated the ambitious scope of the film. So I, I just want to say like, I also, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry, I also like that it 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 knowingly and purposefully subverts the uh, your dad was the guy yeah. thing. Yeah. Trope. Mm-hmm. You know, and and how he literally, they're like, yes, Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter, it all makes sense. I got to go find my dad. It's like, no, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. But he also still is descended from, he has to be in the bloodline, right? That's the only way. No, no, no. The whole whole point of the movie is that anybody, anybody could be it. It's Last Jedi. It's it's pure of heart. It's about mm-hmm. what's in your heart. That's what they that's, they made an explicit point of that. Yeah. Many movies in the last few years is like about someone trying to find their dad, mm-hmm. and uh, and then when they find them, it's like actually the dad is terrible. 
Um, yeah. So just, just I don't know. I think we got to get away from that because I think that, <laughs> now that like we've had the storylines where they find the dad and that's the person you're supposed to find. Then they find the dad. That's the person who's terrible. And, and you know, I feel like it swung so far the other way. Like maybe we should get away from those stories. Yeah, now. it's so, it's kind of like a whole generation working through being let down by their dads in a way. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. That's what it kind of feels like. Yeah, like I'm right. really feeling that. I think that's right, uh, yeah. just look at like Kevin Costner. Like every time he's popped up in something recently, basically, <laughs> like especially like Batman. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I will say uh, another fun thing about this movie. Really great use of the Lady in the Lake legend because mm. that's in the the bathtub scene. That's mm. fun. That is cool. pure yeah. fun. Yeah, and I'm glad cool. that this movie, like, he, this, the Arthur story, like, the Arthurian legend has been something that's been retold so many times. I can't think of a good version of that. Uh, I said this last week, since, uh, I, I said the wrong movie. I should have said since Excalibur, because that movie, that movie's bonkers. It's a ton of fun. Uh, I, I think some people, I don't know if it's qualified as, like, a good movie, but I genuinely love it. And I think this does a real... It does a lot with that legend uh, compared to certainly Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, right? Indeed, indeed. Uh, all right. So, uh, and yeah, uh, that's one thing I was going to point out too, Devendra, is that this is uh, one of the best King Arthur movies that's been made in a long yep. time. Um, I'm trying to think, like, what other, other than Excalibur, I mean, what other movies would I even recommend? Monty <laughs> Python and the Holy Grail, maybe? And of course, the classic Disney uh, animated take, The Sword and the Stone from 1963. Mm-hmm. That's like yeah. three, four, three to four good King Arthur movies in like four decades. You get one every decade. And uh, yeah. this. We'll never is... mention the Clive Owen one, which was a thing that right. happened, right? Oh, wasn't there that? Yeah. Was that the, the Keira Knightley yes. one? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Clive Owen and Keira Knightley. I remember, yeah. Uh, There's some good so TV good. series. Like, this actually gave me some kind of remind me in ways of the BBC uh, series Merlin, mm-hmm. which kind of took yeah. a more kiddie approach to it, but was still, um, you know, driven by some sort of like more Arthurian lore and some heavy mythology as well. Um, but basically took on the premise of like young Merlin and everyone's sexy and young. Mm. <laughs> sexy young Merlin. Yes. Yeah. The, the bigger part of this movie too, I think it says uh, similar to last red eye. It says a lot about the legends we construct. I think, right? Like, it, maybe all these things you've heard uh, may not exactly be true. And through your actions and through good actions and being a good, decent person, you can uh, maybe change that down yeah. the line. So I, Devendra, that I think the real legends are the friends we made along the way. Mm. So. <laughs> In the round table. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, HT, you want to have the last word on the kid who would be king? I do want to say that um, I think that this film is... Uh, is best encapsulated by that Neil Gaiman quote in which he talks about why uh, Coraline isn't scary for children because mm-hmm. they see themselves in that adventure. Whereas for adults, when they see Coraline, it's something that completely terrifies them. And I know that watching The Kid Who Would Be King, there were moments where I became very concerned in almost like paternal and maternal yeah, way yeah. about these children. I'm like, they're going to be like impaled by rebar. They're going to be like killed by these demonic hell health uh, warriors and yet because these children have such a gleeful abandon to them and a fearlessness um it was something that like infected the entire movie and just kind of takes you along for the ride and i think that's why um it does feel a little bit low stakes at time because it really comes from that perspective and i think that's why it was able to sweep me along so well with it all right. Um, well, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry that we disagree on this movie, but I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. 
Uh, and I do think a lot of people will enjoy it. I think a lot of kids will enjoy it too. Uh, and in the next generation, I think they'll grow up watching this movie instead of Goonies. Um, and I hope I don't, so. I don't think that's a bad nice. thing. Don't think that's yeah, a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. Yeah. All right, that's our review of The Kid Who Would Be King. Find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned for an After Dark About Serenity. Stay tuned also to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Huai Chen Bui, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBui, and I also have my other podcast outside of uh, SlashFilm Daily, uh, The Millennial Falcon, and that's on iTunes and Google Play. Such a great title. It is a great Mm -hmm. title. Jeff Kanata. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, and I do a video game podcast, which is called DLC. You can find it wherever you find podcasts or... At 5x5.tv slash DLC. Devendra Hardware. I'm on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. I'm also doing a tech Q&A podcast at nomortech.net. That's no with a K. We'll have more episodes coming up soon. And uh, I am making at least two YouTube videos per month. You can find my videos at YouTube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. Next week, we'll be discussing the new Dan Gilroy movie, Velvet Buzzsaw, which is debuting on Netflix, uh, and it's, it reunites uh, the people from Nightcrawler, Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. and Rene Russo, with Dan Gilroy. I mean, that sounds like an awesome combination. Really, we're Jake Gyllenhaal 2.0 again. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to watching it, yeah. discussing with y'all. Should be a lot of fun. Um, stay tuned for the After Dark about Serenity. Thanks for listening to the Slash Filmcast. We'll see you later. with his incredible new album, Late Night Feelings. Featuring the hit singles, Late Night Feelings and Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. Mark Ronson, Late Night Feelings, out Friday. Welcome to the Slash Filmcast After Dark. And uh, we are going to use this time to discuss Stephen Knight's new film, Serenity, starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Good to see you, John. It took so long to find you. What do you say? Say I'm not called John anymore. It's funny, huh? Why would you want to find me? My husband has never seen your face. You were right about him. He's violent with you. What's this? Just a little scratch. A little scratch, huh? I want you to take him out on your boat and drop him in the ocean for the sharks. They say she came all the way to see you. Yes, it's about temptation. There's right and wrong. You know how? In Plymouth, everybody knows everything. Well, I've got kind of a big day tomorrow. I know all about your big day. Feels like everybody knows something. I don't. I should point out that uh, it's just going to be me, HT, and Jeff Kanata. 
uh, because Devendra refused to see this film, so it's just going to be just going to be <laughs> as is his right. As, as is his right, right. Everyone, and just so you know, there's no bitterness or anything like that. Like we all, we all have a few movies that we just say we're going to opt out of during the yeah. year. Everyone gets yeah. a few. Honestly, I don't blame him. <laughs> nor, nor I, nor I. I, um, I also think we should say right here at the top that uh, at least for me, there will be more swearing than normal. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have you have kitties, uh, yeah. you, they should not be around to listen to the show, right? Yeah, this this part of the mm-hmm. podcast. Just yeah. just uh, you know, public service announcement. Okay, and we've also said that we basically can't. You, you really can't talk about this movie without spoiling it, right? right. So mm-hmm. so uh, I, I mean, before we get to spoilers, let's just say like, would you recommend people see this movie? Right? Like, the basic question, no. and then we're gonna get to spoilers. Jeff no, Kanata, you're I'm a no. No, I'm, I'm hoping that our discussion of this movie will be a, a stand-in for people seeing it. So okay. I, I, my, my, our, what I would like our goal to be is to step through the logic of this movie, yes. such as it is, and make people understand why it's just there's just no reason to go see this movie. Um, but also, Dave, I did, I did write a limerick for this one. Would okay. you like to hear it? Go ahead. Hit us. Ready? <clears throat> What the fuck is going on with this movie? <laughs> what the fuck is going on with this movie? As I sat in my seat, I could only repeat, what the fuck is going on with this movie? You know, that's not, that's not your strongest work from a rhyming and wordplay perspective. but It rhymed. It all rhymed. It all rhymed. That's right. There's no approximate rhymes there. Those, those are definitely rhymes. Yeah. Uh, HT, would you recommend? I would say if you could see this either for free or if you have AMC A-List or some other ticketing A-list, service. A-List, baby. A-List. Yeah. <laughs> then go see this movie. It is a movie that demands to be experienced. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to agree with HD. I, I have to say I enjoyed the experience of watching this movie more than The Kid Who Would Be King. Well, um, that doesn't – <laughs> Really? You enjoyed Okay. Okay, okay. But so at the same time, I do want to say I don't know if have if like knowing the spoiler and knowing that there's a twist for this movie or even knowing just like the insanity around this film will take will like take away from that experience. Like if you know going in, will that take the wind out of the sails? Uh as it were. You know, can I can I just say it is it is frustrated me the last few days, hearing people describe it as a twist, because <laughs> I didn't experience it that way at all. I think that's a misnomer. Well, I, hold I on, let's, not... let's let's get to that. Let's get to that. Okay, I, I want to hear you talk about it, but, but I'll just say one thing before we uh, step into the the spoilers here, which is that first of all, HD has written an article at slashfilm dot com. You should check out. It says it's called Serenity has the wackiest ending of twenty nineteen, and we're only a month in. Uh, so I'd recommend <laughs> that article. Uh, also, I made a YouTube video about this movie, youtube.com slash Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chen SKY, where I dive in depth into the ending. So you can check those out before you um, listen to the rest of the, this review or go see the movie. Um, or instead of going to see the movie, you can do that. And uh, I'll also uh, say that I knew there, there was a quote unquote twist, and it did not impact my enjoyment of the movie at all. So uh, I just don't think it's a twist. Twist. Yeah. I, I, okay. Okay. They, so we're, are we, we're spoilers the now. whole movie. We're starting spoilers for the movie right now. Okay. I wasn't going to say what the twist is. It's cool. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just saying that it. It's not a. It's not like it. This. It, this M Night Shyamalan moment of revelation. It. It's spelled out through the whole movie. I. I, I, mean, I, I disagree with you, Jeff. Though? <laughs> 
Go, hmm. go ahead. Because a twist can happen while being foreshadowed. Yeah. That's often what a twist is. And M. Night Shyamalan foreshadows when he does it well. He foreshadows most of his twists. The Sixth Sense, for example, you can see all the clues uh, leading up to it. Yeah. And well, uh, I, I, you can... I, I, Sorry, sorry. You can see the clues um, in this film, whether they're good clues or not. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, there's there's no way, in my opinion, this is not a twist. But I don't want to argue with you about that, Jeff. It's just I, a semantic argument, yeah, and I'll step yeah. away from it. But it, it yeah, it, it just felt like... It's foreshadowed. I agree. HT put it's it extremely well. It's not foreshadowed. It's freaking shoved in your face. It's like... Anyway, <laughs> well, Jeff, ahead. I think it's... you're better at figuring the twists out than me. How about that? We'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, but, Jeff, in the past, we have talked about how some movies have been great video game movies, but they're not actually based on video games, right? So yes. like Hardcore Henry Hardcore is a Henry. video game yeah. movie, but it's not ba- It's not like Assassin's Creed. It's not based on the video yeah. game, right? Live, Die, Repeat. It's Live, Die, Repeat. One. Great video game movie. Um, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Very good. Yes. Uh, great example, HT. Is Serenity a great video game movie, Jeff? Serenity is a video game movie made by someone who's never played a video game <laughs> that's in what i've said <laughs> it's it's like they ha- they don't have the most basic understanding of how video games operate <laughs> <laughs> so the reason you're saying that we, we sh- so we should we should say that again spoiler for this entire movie the basic premise yeah the story film, the story of the movie is that this guy named baker dill right uh, played by Matthew McConaughey, uh, is approached. He's, he's he's trying to catch a fish called Justice. He's living on this <laughs> island called Plymouth Island. He's trying to catch a fish called Justice, and uh, then his wife, his ex-wife Anne Hathaway, comes and meets him and says, "Hey, my new husband, that's not you, Baker Dill, beats me and my son horribly, and we need you to murder my husband. Um, take him out on your boat. And take dump him on your him boat. Side. Get him yeah. drunk. Throw him over the side." Uh, we need you to murder him so that you know me and my my son can be free, and maybe we'll be all we'll all be together again. And your son, my son, and your son. my son and your son. Yeah. It's the same right. son. Yes. And uh, and <laughs> so everything's like kind of like in this heightened reality, right? Like people are talking in an over the top way. The island is kind of weird. It's kind of this nondescript place. You don't know where it's located. And then there halfway are weird through symbols, the movie, and he's he thinks he you know people say talk cryptically, and there's symbols that sort of, sort of represent his chase for this fish, and it's 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 yeah. like a dream fugue state kind of yes. A C- couple of other things that, that are interesting, like everyone on the island seems to know everything that happens on the island, right? So that's kind of interesting. Which I thought actually was kind of a cool. That was cool. Like, that was cool. A, yeah. Pretty cool. In another movie where there's there's an island where everybody knows everything, I think that's a kind of a cool premise. Yeah. A cool yeah. Uh, setting. The thing is, the first half of this movie plays nothing like a video game because right. it plays more like a hard boiled um, pulp novel from yeah. the 40s. Yeah. And if that was the reveal, I would totally. It would make sense to me. It's like noir was, set on a beach, right? Basically. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But this reveal makes no sense from what it leads up to it. So uh, we should also mention, by the way, that Matthew McConaughey, uh, the Baker Dill character, uh, he sometimes runs out of money. And a woman played by Diane Lane pays him for sex, right? Right. Because he's, he's, he's down on his luck. This woman pays him for sex. <laughs> so all this fucked up stuff has occurred during the course of this movie already. And about 45 minutes into the movie... 
it 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 is dropped. Jeremy Strong plays this guy who is like trying to supply Matthew McConaughey with a fish finder, and he accidentally reveals that oh by the way everyone here is in a video game that's been programmed by uh, this kid who's kind of Matthew McConaughey has a real life counterpart, and it's his son in real life uh, that has programmed this video game that they're all living in, right? Right. And and the, the I guess the reveal at the end is that. He died in Iraq Yes, as a soldier, and the kid made this video game to reconnect with his dad, created an AI so sophisticated that it was actually his dad in the video game. <laughs> yes. And then – it's. I want to step through the logic of this movie because yeah. it, it's, it makes no goddamn sense in the world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he so- somehow created a virtual version of his father – that is unaware that he's in a video game, yep. right? Puts his father in on an island and fishing because he has a genuine memory of he and his father trying to fish one time, and it's a good memory, so he decided to make his father a fisherman. I'm with you so far. Right? In real life, he has a stepfather who is abusive to he and his mother, so somehow playing the game is going to get him the courage to actually do something and defend his mother by murdering the stepfather because if he makes his virtual dad do it in the game, somehow that gives him the courage to do it in real life. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Jeff, you're not even touching upon the most troubling parts of this movie, right? Oh no, I haven't even got, we haven't even gotten to the crazy shit yet. Okay. I'm just trying to get to the bait, the basic spine of motivation. Yes. Yes, I think which I think is, that is correct, right? HT, which, think, which yeah, go ahead. On the face of it, is insane. Like, I mean, I mean, I actually don't think it's that crazy, right? Like the the idea that like you would play a video game version of something to like, get up the courage to do that thing in real life, I don't think it's like that outside the realm of possibility. Also, I, will, I I'm wondering. So he, the son programs this entire game. Is that correct? Or is he, he just programmed, he programmed it, or he modified an existing game? It's not super yeah. clear, right? Yeah, because yeah. I was I couldn't tell if he had programmed this entire game, and if he had, then why would his game be fighting against him um, in his attempt to make his dad, his digital dad, murder his digital stepfather? Right. So I'm guessing he like just is tinkering with the game, and um, it's fighting back against him in his attempt to make turn this turn this fishing game, this mundane fishing game, into a murder game. The 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 concept that his AI dad would be in this video game makes literally every other character in the video game universe not make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> there, there's no purpose for any other character in the movie. And, and none of them behave – like if you, had, if you had felt like they were giving quests or doing things that video game character – video game NPCs would do – or behaving in ways that video game NPCs would do, and you somehow at the end realize, oh, they were video game characters the whole time. That explains their strange behavior. Yeah, yeah. We should that we should say that NPC stands for like non-player characters. It's like the, right. the computer characters that you meet in a game. Right. And uh, and in general, in a video game, NPCs have a function. Right. They're like right. there to sell you stuff, or they're there to give you information about what you're supposed to do, or or whatever. Right. Send you on quests yeah. and give you yeah, give you tasks to do. Or if 
there had been some sort of Wizard of Oz-esque moment where everyone in the game had a real-life counterpart, and he had pro, you know, he had we had seen who everyone like who Diane Lane was in real life, right? But none of that <laughs> happens. None of them behave in any way that makes any sense. And HT, you're absolutely right. They are actively trying to talk him out of doing the thing that ostensibly the entire game was programmed to facilitate. Right. <laughs> okay, but but we we got to start talking about how messed up this movie is, right? <laughs> we we got to start talking about how how messed up it is. So first of all, Matthew McConaughey uh, likes to bathe naked a lot in the movie. We see right. Matthew McConaughey's ass. On a number of occasions in this movie. Which his son, I guess, programmed. I guess he programmed it, right? Apparently his son programs that. And his father having a lot of hooker sex with this woman. Yeah, a lot of hooker sex. For, <laughs> gigolo, why not? gigolo sex, I think, is the correct term. But it, it's, to get, it's to for his dad to procure money, which he <laughs> theoretically could just give his dad. In, like you could just... Create money. Yeah, just make money. Yeah, yeah. You could just have his dad have a lot of money. But in the video game, there's no rules. He's um, the god of that world. He pairs up his dad with Jaiman Hunsu's character. Um, But Jaiman Hunsu is apparently bad luck because as he programs his dad to say, uh, we stopped getting good fish after your wife died. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a pretty fucked up thing to say, right? Like, just as, as as a basic thing in real life you wouldn't say you wouldn't say that to a real person like unless you were a terrible human being but this kid apparently has a positive memory of his dad right but there's no jaiman hunsu has no function in this movie other than to try to talk him out of killing the guy yes and the way that he tries to talk him out of doing this is at one point he hires a gang of I don't know, like Argentinians or something to break the hands of Jason Clark's character so that he can't go fishing. Just like in a video game, you know, <laughs> just like in, in a video, video game. game. <laughs> Apparently there's like a, a gang of like Argentinian mercenaries are like on hand. To... <laughs> yeah, it's the Argentinian mercenary uh, uh, perk, right? On the uh, in yeah. Call of Duty. Um yeah, and it, like it, they do this in a very violent way, despite this being a game where like no one dies. And yet and, his hands are like brutally broken. And and if you're playing – so first of all, there's not even any concept of how this kid is playing the game. Like is the game is the game a simulation and his father has autonomy in it and is sort of this – he's just watching it all unfold? Yeah, it's like The or Sims play, or something, right? Like, yeah, is he yeah. playing it? Because if so, there's literally no reason for any scene that doesn't involve Matthew McConaughey <laughs> because, right, in a video game you don't you – don't, cut away to other yeah. character. I mean, I guess you do in cutscenes, but this it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, also to go back to your Argentinian mercenary point, like I my favorite part of that scene is how that all happened while Anne Hathaway's character was apparently asleep. <laughs> like they drag him out <laughs> right. of bed, brutally beat him and she wakes up and you know, there's blood everywhere. Yeah, um, I love how he's a man of God and his whole plan to get him to stop murdering him is will just Injure him to Let's the extreme. Let's mess up this other guy real badly, right? It is. <laughs> so it's super weird. It, does, it and and again, if if it had, had, if there was an analog to it, <laughs> that like in the real world, the stepfather's hand had been broken, 
And so it, it, he had to incorporate that into the game. Like if there had been any reason for anything. Well, Jeff, I think one of the things you're – one of the weaknesses in the film you're pointing to is that – One you, of the weaknesses. You, yeah. You just don't have enough knowledge of the real world, right? Is, um, yeah. For instance, this kid programs the Anne Hathaway character in the game to basically kind of be a gold digger, right, who is undesirable to Matthew McConaughey, right? right? He does program his dad and mom to fuck. Which um, is super weird. Right. In, in a very uh, upsetting fashion, too. Because very he, upsetting. He basically yeah. says something like, I've won, right? Like, I've beat the, the husband. Yeah. The way you would never want to imagine your parents fucking. <laughs> that is the way that he programs them having sex. Um, while she, but also while she has, like, all these scars and all of the places. It's, it's very, like, this kid has a really messed up imagination. But, okay, so she pro- he programs her to be... Uh, this terrible person, because presumably he sees her that way, right? But in real life, uh, she was probably just trying to move on with her life, right? Like and we Matthew never McConaughey's even... character died in the war, and like she's just trying to move on. She marries this guy who I think the news report reveals is a construction worker. Yeah, so, he wasn't even wealthy in real life. Yeah, he, it's not like she's he's wealthy in real life. Right. She's just trying to like get some kind of semblance of stability into their lives. Um, but <laughs> he has programmed her as this like horrifying, you know, gold digging person who only cares about money and manipulation and stuff like that. Like that, and we is... never even get to see Anne Hathaway in real life. Right. We don't know. Like she's the sort of Barbie doll in the video game world, but we don't know if that's accurate or inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all disembodied VO. Dave and I had a brief text exchange after we both walked out of this movie. And I think there is an argument to be made that the entire video game twist, such as it is, was added on, was tacked on. Because nothing in this movie seems to have been built with that in mind. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of (laughs) strange. All of it is delivered in voiceover at the end. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a stretch, Jeff, because there is that big visual effects sequence at the end, um, and also the the Jeremy Strong character who plays Reed Miller, the the fish guy. Yeah, uh, you know, like his whole role in the movie. I mean, that's the thing is like, why would you? What this movie indicates is that this guy, this kid, has basically programmed self aware AI, like in a Black Mirror way. Yes, these AI are self aware. He made for some reason maps in the game that are so stupid. <laughs> that people can look at them and realize that they're in a game, right? right. Uh, HT, I feel we, I feel we are dominating this conversation too much. Like, I'm sorry. Your, your yes. thoughts no, on how, I on mean, how this twist plays out? I'm in agreement with both you and how like bonkers and bizarre this film is. I did feel like this movie was leading up to some sort of conspiracy or twist. Uh, towards the beginning of the movie, we we real, we find out that Matthew McConaughey and his son have some sort of telepathic connection. Right. So for a long time, I was like, maybe his son is God or has like godlike <laughs> powers. And for some reason, that was something that I would have bought more than like this video game twist. Anything other than that, honestly, like if this was like a book that they're in or if there was some sort of like adjustment bureau twist in which they are simply pawns in some greater scheme that is being controlled by some omniscient presence um uh, some sort of like fast conspiracy uh that is just like taken over this island um the video game thing the only thing that leads up to it is the the little intercuts of the the son playing that game right. Co- uh, coding, son, it. coding coding it, yeah. too yeah, yeah coding as his uh mother and, and stepfather are fighting and everything else just like does not 
track at all with this video game metaphor because obviously Stephen Knight does not know what a video game is. Yeah. It's like he's never played one. And you bring up – Dave, you brought up that moment at the end where he reprograms the world to be much better. Yes. Like and everything like starts falling around – like apart around him, reconfiguring itself around him, yeah. There's literally nothing to prevent him from having done that right at the beginning of the movie. Well, there's, there's the only thing like I don't get why you would create this hellscape for your virtual dad where he's <laughs> tormented endlessly by a fish and with by having no money and having to whore himself out in order to get money. Like he's he's created a torture simulator for a virtual version of his dad that evidently has autonomy and in, in, in life in some way, like he's created life and then tortured that life all to get to the point where he can murder someone. I mean, he literally stabs a man in the chest with a knife, right? That's the, that's the moment of, of grand transcendence that he feels where then he can now change the game to being <laughs> less of a torture simulator for his dad. Yes. It, Yes. Also, uh, don't forget that when they're taking the dad out, to the, the, the stepfather out into the ocean, the stepfather gives this monologue about how you can find like children and, and have sex with them for $10. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot about like, that. Again, <laughs> all of that came from the mind of this kid, <laughs> according to this movie. According to this movie. That's right. <laughs> I want to know. I, another thing that really bothers me uh, is I want to know. Who told Anne Hathaway to take this part and why she agreed? Like, who, fire your agent. Like, she is she she is the only the object of she's only objectified in this movie. She she's fucked, beaten, cries. She serves has no autonomy, has no agency. She is the worst kind of female character you could imagine. And then it turns out not even human. <laughs> not even she doesn't even have the decency to be they don't have the, even have the decency to make her a human being it's crazy to me that she took this part I, i've read a really interesting article by ingu kang about how this this movie is terrible because it basically frames anne hathaway's character's suffering as basically the only function of it is to advance along the plot development or the character development of of the male male characters um uh, HT, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on like what you thought about the Anne Hathaway arc and and uh, and specifically how female suffering is deployed in the film. Yes, the f- <laughs> women are like nothing characters in this film, and Anne Hathaway's the treatment of Anne Hathaway's character is the most egregious because she is nothing more than the femme fatale archetype who is made to be just like the punching bag, both physically and emotionally uh from both uh, from all the male characters and um it does it does kind of um and suggest that the son has a very poor view of his mother yeah and um i mean like it's just you're at a loss it, you're, you're it, literally at a loss for i'm at a loss because this okay, movie think, think about diane lane's character another actress i Greatly admire. Don't know why she said yes to this movie. I don't know. This movie is jam-packed with great actors. Academy Award-winning actors. It doesn't yeah. make any, any damn sense. Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, both Oscar winners. Yep. But, okay, so let's even not even talk about the fact that, she, that her only function in the entire movie is to fuck and pay Matthew McConaughey. That's all she does. The only other times we see her are when she is standing in her 
house looking out the window at him, which if she is a video game NPC makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Why do we see shots of her like keeping tabs on him and looking out the window and checking up on him? It doesn't make any sense. It felt like that Diane Lane plotline was supposed to go somewhere and never did. Like it felt like there was yeah. another thread there. Like talk, talk, we're talking about kid who would be king in like a final thirty minutes to tie up like threads. That is a thread I would like to see tied up. Like she, yeah, what was she going like on with that guy? Him, she asks him constantly about the new woman in town and like she's. Like there's seems she like she has thing interest. about cats too. Yeah, it's so fucking weird, man. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. The uh, cats thing, okay, just the cats thing alone should play like a video game. Like that is a video game quest. Go get my cat. Except it doesn't play like that at all ever. Like that was one thing where you could be like, okay, she's an NPC and she's telling him, "Go get my cat. I need you to save my cat." Except it's completely ignored. He sees the cat a few times. It, it doesn't play like it would in a video game at all. It just doesn't make any sense. Here's here's the my favorite thing about this movie. Okay, <laughs> is uh, Matthew McConaughey's Descent into Madness. I actually think is really a delight because he starts out the movie like pretty rugged and confident, and then like his his physical condition declines precipitously in the final half of this movie as he's going insane realizing that he's all like it's all a video game and that's actually like he's really commits to that performance in my opinion um right but if he was a video game character his physical appearance wouldn't change at all yeah well it depends jeff maybe it's one of those characters that declines over time so but yeah uh and and there's go ahead sorry sorry i i know i'm dominating i don't mean to i i'm just i'm I'm just saying, I was just thinking, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think that not only Matthew McConaughey, but, like, everyone is very dedicated to their performances here. Yes. Just, like, in every line delivery they make and everything, no matter how ludicrous and just arch it is. Um, And I was just thinking that um, if in Stephen Knight's version of this video game, this movie is just, like strangely ambitious and just like audacious and yeah. what it's trying to do. Yeah. And that's the one thing I can give it um, as a con. It's just like, it's trying for something. It's swinging for those fences and it just like shot way over shot those fences and just like landed another dimension. Yeah. 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 Oh, speaking of people committing to their uh, roles, the scene when Anne Hathaway asks Jason Clark to choke her in a sexual fashion, uh, <laughs> that's just like so messed up that a kid <laughs> like when you think of the implications of that yes. scene it, yes. it's it's like that the kid thought that up do you know what i mean yeah. like yeah i want to I, I, I'm, I, I'm like i'm like I several times that kid's Knight's age thinking. sorry go ahead H. No, no i just i just don't want to know what is in stephen knight's mind yeah i mean i'm several times that kid's age and like that is like you know super advanced like sexual whatever the hell is going on like that's not even something that would occur to me in, in if i were to like make some kind of weird ass sex game you know what i mean i mean i guess i guess <laughs> you're, what you're supposed to think is that he created these virtual versions that were so authentic to the real people that they're modeled after the stepdad and his mom that like he's heard that or witnessed that or feels that that is the kind of thing that those awful people do yeah but i even that doesn't excuse it, it yeah it's just... and, I mean, you've already brought up Jeremy Strong. 
who's an actor that I have come to really like, especially on the success of Succession. And he, HG, you brought this up too. Like the, the sort of, when we start to see the weirdness of this world and he's like trying to, always trying to catch up with Matthew McConaughey and he kind of first appears and walks along the beach and in his suit, you know, it just, it doesn't fit where he is. And it, there's, it's a, I was genuinely curious, like what's going on with this? The fact that there's no video game in the history of time where the rules of the video game are a character like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, if you're talking about a video game and you want it to express the rules, there's a hundred ways you could do it that make it seem like a video game. Having a right. character who wanders in and gets drunk, it gets drunk and so it spills its beans. What? That doesn't make any sense in the, in the, in the form that you have decided this movie is. It doesn't hold together. Jeff, I think I think you really need to open your mind to what video games can be, and maybe that's yeah. what this movie's trying to do. You know, I'm the rules. He says I'm the rules <laughs> to a video game. And he's like, whoops. So, I, I mean, I mean, there are rules. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to say there was one fascinating sequence that I feel like this movie was trying to reach for some sort of greater philosophical discussion, but never gets there because it doesn't know what it's doing, or maybe it just doesn't care. Um, it's when. Uh, his character, the game, I guess, uh, Reed Miller, that's his character's name, um, is asking uh, Bill, uh, Dill Baker, yeah, Dill Baker, who the creator is. And he's like, who is he? Like, what does it all mean? And then um, Dill Baker is like, he's my son. And then he's like, oh, okay. And then he he disappears. And I was like, I feel like they're trying to do something about like creation or meaning of life and having achieved that. And then it kind of just – they kind of pass it by. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, one um, one movie that's really stuck with me, uh, despite not being a very good movie, uh, is like Prometheus, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in Prometheus when um, – I, I, I'm, I, I'm like butchering this scene, so I apologize that I'm butchering it. But he's basically like, uh, uh, why do you think uh, – like one of the characters says, like you know, why were we made? And then this, the robot played by uh, Michael Fassbender, David. He's like, he's like, well, why did you make me? And then the guy responds, well, we made you because we could. And he says, imagine receiving that as an answer to that question, right? Like <laughs> that, like why, why were, why were humans created? And it's like, well, because they could, because people felt like it, and they made, they made humanity. Um, that that has stuck with that idea has stuck with me right since then, um, and so it, it feel like this movie kind of touches upon that. It's like what what are we doing here? We're serving at the whims of this child who has an extremely advanced understanding of sexuality, um, but <laughs> but not much understanding of like real life adult behavior. Uh, and there's something really kind of hopeless and and despairing about that. That uh, I don't think the movie really. Explores enough per what no. you said, HD. So, mm-hmm. and his his name is Baker Dill <laughs> because he had a teacher whose name was Dylan Baker. Mm. So he decided to create his dad in a video game perfectly to the point where the dad didn't know he wasn't real, 
Yeah. But rename his dad after his teacher, but for some reason do the words backwards <laughs> so that his dad wouldn't know he was his dad? Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I think that's going to bring us to the end of the review, Jeff. Any other questions you have? But he could talk to his dad, and he sometimes <laughs> did, but not enough to like actually want to hang out with his dad. You created your dad in the video game. You could just hang out with your dad that you miss. Well, they, they do actually ha- they do actually gain that ability at the end of the film, Jeff. So because it, it all works. He out. decided it's okay now to do that after he after he murdered his father. Yeah, he decided after it was okay. he murdered his father, he decided he was going to escape his reality and live in this perfect video game world, which until then was a rotting hellscape. It's like. I mean, forgive me. I don't want to attack. Stephen Knight has made some good movies, but it's like he watched Black Mirror and learned all the wrong lessons from it and was like, I could do that. I could make a Black Mirror episode. HC, you want to have the last word on this? Um, I think that this movie was trying for something that was audacious and weird and definitely – vaguely entertaining but it was also a trash movie (laughs) that uh was just not was not well done but um i do i want i do want to applaud it for its ambition all right i think that's a great place to end it jeff i I mean i I feel like this movie has really broken your brain Um, (laughs) it's the fact that no matter what angle you come at it from it's like a you know, if it, it, it's like a, a a sweater where if you pull a thread, it unravels. But yeah. literally any thread from any angle that you pull, it will unravel. There's no part of the sweater that holds together. Yeah, and and I have a hard time. I just have a hard time. I'm I'm having a hard time, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. Send send uh, <laughs> reflections, condolences. Uh, send help to Jeff Canada. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.